Welcome to the Herbs with Rosalie podcast, a show exploring how herbs heal as medicine, as food, and through nature connection. I'm your host, Rosalie de la Forêt. I'm an herbalist teacher and the best-selling author of the books Alchemy of Herbs and Wild Remedies. I created this podcast to share trusted herbal wisdom so that you can get the best results when relying on herbs for your health. I love offering up practical knowledge to help you dive deeper into the world of medicinal plants and seasonal living. My goal is that you'll walk away from each episode feeling inspired to start working with herbs in your everyday life. Each episode of the podcast is available on my Herbs with Rosalie YouTube channel, as well as your favorite podcast app. Transcripts and recipes for each episode can be found at herbswithrosaliepodcast.com. To get the latest news, as well as fun bonuses, be sure to sign up for my weekly herbal newsletter. Okay, grab your cup of tea. Let's dive in. It was a pleasure to interview Ben and hear not only about rhodiola benefits, but also some of the deeper questions that go into sourcing these precious plants. Sitting quietly atop a Colorado mountain peak, Ben Levine felt a voice from his favorite herb that would define his future. You are meant to become an herbalist. That path has led him to the farthest corners of the earth and back, driven to unravel the mysteries of the world's most powerful plants. Now as co-founder and chief herbalist of Rasa, he's using these potent herbal secrets to revolutionize your morning energy ritual with the power of adaptogens. Welcome to the show, Ben. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Rosalie. I'm really looking forward to our conversation and talking about rhodiola. But before we go there, I'd love to hear about how the plant world called you in. Yeah, I I wish I had known from a super early age that I was meant to be an herbalist. Would have saved me a lot of existential despair. But it took me a while. I, I spent a lot of time in nature as a kid. Grew up in rural Arizona. We had an orchard, a big veggie garden. We'd go hiking in the Chiricahua Mountains in southeast Arizona a lot. But I didn't really discover herbs themselves until I was in my early 20s, out of college. I was really into food justice, food systems, farming. I was working on a farm in Alaska and discovered like, oh, wow, there's nettles you can harvest. There's fiddlehead ferns. There's chicken of the woods and got really enthralled by the abundance in nature. Abundance really is not as noticeable in Arizona. So this was a really different change of landscape for me. And I think that was my first wildcrafting book was in Alaska. And then I spent some time in India on farms and got exposed to more herbs in, in a more traditional setting. Like here's amla, let's harvest it. This is what we use it for. These are the you know kind of the cultural recipes around amla and, and hibiscus and a whole bunch of herbs. Um, and then I landed in Colorado and really, really lucked into a job at Celestial Seasonings, the tea giant as an herb buyer. So I kind of came into herbalism from the industry. So a lot of people you know, try to get into the industry once they're an herbalist. And I somehow managed to, to start in the industry in a way. And I convinced them to pay for herb school at night at the Colorado School of Clinical Herbalism. Mm-hmm. And, and that school is where I really came home, I think, to mm-hmm. my people and what I want to do in life. You know, really thankful for that place. And that started, mm-hmm. started a, a journey that went to, I got a master's of 
Science and Clinical Herbalism at Maryland University of Clinical Health, or sorry, Maryland University of Integrative Health. And, and then ended up at RASA about four years ago. Hmm. Yeah, so we had a similar story in that I grew up in the Southwest desert myself in Southwest Utah. And then when I came to the Pacific Northwest, I had the experience of just picking like the humble blackberry. And it just yeah. it kind of blew my mind though. You know, I was just like, yeah. Yeah, this is all just here. And it was that kind of like opening point of just seeing the world in a, in a different way. Yeah, desert desert kids have a particular like I get so excited about water in in Colorado. I'm like, there's water here. That's incredible. And all my friends who are from the East Coast or from the Pacific Northwest, like, oh, it's so dry here. I'm like, this <laughs> Colorado is magical. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm excited to talk about rhodiola. This is a plant that I personally adore and does not grow really in the Southwest deserts. But the one time I've met rhodiola in person was actually in Iceland. And so very different wow. landscape there. But one that I also like to grow in my garden in a pretty arid location. So I, I coax it along little by little. Well, I'm curious why you were inspired to talk about rhodiola today. Yeah, rhodiola has been one of my favorite herbs for years now. I think I probably got into rhodiola five or six years ago. I got into adaptogens in general. Adaptogenic plants help you adapt to stress. In our in our culture and my own personal story of my tumultuous relationship with caffeine, I, I think I was in a real burnout place, which is super common in the U.S. and and discovered adaptogens and was learning more about how they might help achieve more balance, and and found rhodiola. And rhodiola is probably the most stimulating of the adaptogens besides Asian ginseng, and it's an herb that you you feel a lot acutely right away. So I often give it to friends who are skeptic skeptical of herbs. You know, like, I've never felt an herb in my life. Like, herbs don't do anything for me. Like, here, try this strong amount of rhodiola and report back. And I've used it a lot. I, I rarely use it by itself because of the energetics are pretty challenging. It's very stringent and very drying and very cold. But an another reason I wanted to talk about rhodiola on the show is that it's in danger in its natural habitat. And I know we'll get to sustainability, uh, but that's pretty pressing matter that I don't hear enough people talking about. And there's a lot of people that are doing beautiful work with rhodiola. Joseph Brinkman from Traditional Medicinals just wrote a paper, co-authored a paper on rhodiola and the, the pretty drastic problems with sustainability. But I just wanted to get help get that out to a broader audience. Oh, I love that you're diving headfirst into that because sometimes I think there's this thing that happens in herbal world where if there's a plant that is endangered or having problems and sometimes there's this desire to kind of like just not talk about it. Like, oh, the solution will be not to talk about it instead of like you're suggesting like you're, choos you're choosing rhodiola so we can talk about this issue and, and not just kind of shut it in a drawer and close it. Yeah, I've, I've thought about like, should I not, should we not use rhodiola? And, and the fact is so many people use rhodiola and they don't know of the sustainability issues, even some of the suppliers I've talked to. Uh, and, and that's not going to go away whether you and I use rhodiola or not. So we might as well try and be part of the solution. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Let's, let's put a pin in that just to talk a little bit more yeah. about rhodiola benefits. And we are definitely going to circle around to that as well. So yes, yeah, so you mentioned some things of, you know, it's a stimulating in nature adaptogen. What's like kind of the, I don't know, a person that you think might be like, you know, the rhodiola might be well suited for, even as you mentioned in a formula, if not as simple. Yeah. I, I use rhodiola where there is fatigue and sluggishness and stagnancy more of the picture of needing a little bit of a boost needing a, a kick in the pants something to cut through the the fog and it's it's awesome for athletes that are having trouble recovering it's been used in a lot of performance athletics and also for for focus um, it's one of the 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 best herbs i've found for cutting through the friction of resistance fatigue that like kind of scattered and rhodiola really puts me more into a flow uh, which is which is great and it, it's it's got a wide range of benefits awesome for immunity it's one of its traditional uses i'm taking swigs out of a rhodiola infused vodka in the siberian taiga uh, throughout cold winters and it can be helpful for mood issues like in the winter i think rhodiola is awesome because it has such a big effect on some of our neurotransmitters like serotonin and dopamine. Yeah, so many, so many things. There's, there's some, there's some branches of uh, some areas we can use rhodiola that are still being tried out, like ADHD. And I won't get too much into them because I don't have a lot of personal experience with ADHD clients. But there's, there's some cool research coming out about all the ways rhodiola interacts with our nervous system and our neurotransmitters and our focus. Well, speaking of that, so you mentioned that rhodiola like helps you focus and it's kind of a stimulant. And so somebody listening might be like, oh, well, that's why I drink my coffee in the morning. So what would you say are the, you know, the differences between rhodiola and coffee or other caffeine substances? Yeah, several big differences. They're, well, a, a similarity first, they're both central nervous system stimulants. So you get that immediate stimulation. Rhodiola a lot less than coffee, of course, but still there. Some of the main differences, coffee can put you into a, a stress place where your stress hormones start getting released, especially if you're naive to coffee. Like if you don't drink coffee every day, I don't, I don't drink coffee. If I drank a cup of coffee right now, my stress hormones would go crazy. It'd have spikes in cortisol, which has a lot of ill effects over time. And then the next day I would be kind of depressed. Uh, and I, I really experience that with caffeine. If, mm -hmm. if I have a bunch day one, day two, I have very decreased performance. My mood, my attention, everything. Rhodiola is kind of the opposite. Like you can take it multiple days in a row. You can stop it. You won't crash. Rhodiola has the benefit of balancing cortisol instead of purely stimulating it like coffee does. Uh, so it effectively puts a floor and a ceiling on the amount of cortisol you have, which gives you steadier energy throughout the day and less of the, the negative side effects that chronically high cortisol in our culture gives us. You know, a lot of our chronic diseases, libido, mood, digestion, get dampened when we're dealing with chronic stress and chronically elevated cortisol. Coffee doesn't help that, rhodiola can. Well, let's go ahead and dive into the sustainability of rhodiola. And I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on this, both you know, as somebody who is sourcing rhodiola and someone who deeply cares about this plant and the future harvest and the habitats that rhodiola lives in. Yeah, anytime 
the herb starts to get super popular, something to look for. Uh, like I, I appreciated you mentioning with your, I think it was with Anne, your podcast with Anne about chaga and how you ask suppliers, like, tell me about the sustainability of your chaga. Because there's so many herbalists and anecdotal evidence and, and hopefully some hard evidence soon that chaga is becoming potentially a sustainability issue. And that's partly because it over the last 20 years, it's gotten insanely popular. And the same thing for many of the adaptogens, rhodiola and eleuthero are the are two of the main ones that I've looked at. When I was in China three years ago in Adaptogen Central, you got ginseng grows there, schizandra, eleuthero, rhodiola, reishi. I, I found a eleuthero stand, which was really magical for me, uh, but I never saw rhodiola, never found it. And I started digging into it a little more and realizing that there's starting to be a real issue many other people in the industry are seeing this as well including joseph who i mentioned earlier and one of the ways you can start to tell is adulteration increases mm-hmm. so there's i think 90 plus rhodiola species around the world uh, we have one in colorado called king's crown it's red flowers but it doesn't have the same medicinal effects and you start to see a lot of these other rhodiola species show up in the raw material getting sourced from china and russia another they notice that the price starts going up and there starts to be a lot of smuggling. It's, I think 75% of extracts, radial extracts come out of China. They're running out of raw material. And so there's a lot of smuggling from Russia now. It's been documented and there's probably way more that's been undocumented. Uh, and Russia as well has, I mean, vast areas of, of Siberia have rhodiola, but the reserves that are documented are dwindling. Pretty quickly, you look at the numbers from the 70s and then the 80s and then the 90s. And what we have now is a fraction of what was in the ground then. Mm-hmm. Part of the problem is it's, it's, it's a root. So anytime you're harvesting roots, there's potential issues. Um, it's not a big root. I actually have one here uh, for the folks on video. It's not a huge root. Maybe you know a plant might have several of these, but it takes 150 of these to make a pound of dried material. And in the wild, Mature roots take 20 to 30 years. You generally don't want to harvest them before 15 years. And so it takes a lot of time to regenerate what's being harvested. Climate change is another aspect. As everything is moving up, things are heating up, uh, there's less water. And land use changes for agriculture and uh, livestock, also a problem. So you're seeing this. Primarily in China and Russia, where most of the rhodiola is from, almost all of the world's supply of rhodiola is wildcrafted. Wild it grows in boreal regions around the world. So it's in Scandinavia, um, the Far East, maybe even in Alaska and Canada. But the, the main stands are all in China and Russia. Scandinavia had some of the first harvesting laws hundreds of years ago because they recognized that like, oh, this, this is a problem. This is an herb we value. This is an herb we use. And there were laws in place to protect it. Um, now, really, none of those laws exist in the places where it's coming from. When we see an herb with sustainability issues, like there, there are several different approaches. Eleuthero has a lot of similar issues, but it's not as far along. So we're working with a couple companies to try and get it fair wild certified, which brings accountability to how much can you harvest from per acre and and still be sustainable. But rhodiola, it it may be 
too late for that. And there is also cultivation efforts underway that we'd rather support. Uh, there's a beautiful organization up in Canada, the Alberta Rhodiola Rosea Growers Association. Mm. And they're probably the biggest cultivation effort in the world. And we've started buying from them at Rasa. A lot of the bigger companies can't switch to them yet because they just don't have enough volume. You know, it takes five cultivated, it takes at least five years before you want to harvest. So the scale up is really difficult. And it also is not something people have been growing for very long. So there's a lot of little things to figure out, a lot of big risks that these farmers take. We're happy to support them and try to grow awareness and grow their cultivation efforts to the point where we can start, like some of these bigger companies can start using them as well. So if someone's interested in working with Rhodiola, what suggestions do you have in terms of you know, what to look for to ensure that they're getting really Rhodiola from a good source and it's not being stripped from the wild? Yep, that's a good question. The, if you're going to buy the raw root, which I think is great, you can make a tea with it. You can toss in some vodka, which is super traditional. You can buy it from Mountain Rose, which offers Canadian now instead of the wild, which is great. They've been doing that for a couple of years. You can also go directly to, there's some cultivation efforts in Alaska, and you can buy the tincture from them as well as the raw root. And these places are great for growing rhodiola because they're really high in altitude. They're really cold. They match the environment that rhodiola naturally grows in. I'm like, kudos to you for growing it, Rosalie. I've tried. And it does, it gets to, you know, it gets like a couple inches and then I have a hard time. Um, well, I should mention, because I think it's worth saying that, so I went and visited Rhodiola in Iceland. I was visiting Anna Rosa there. And Rhodiola there is just, it's so lush and big and beautiful. And it just like really just blew my mind. I was like, wow, it's so beautiful. And it's so big. And now I realize I'm probably looking at plants that are 30 years old there. You know, we were in protected areas. and But then, you know, I got home and I wanted to grow rhodiola myself. So I got a sprout and planted it. And I have probably been growing that same plant for 10 years. And wow. I think last year it might have reached like seven inches. And it's wow. pretty like, it's not like lush, you know, it's like kind of like this little, <laughs> like yep. <laughs> my finger, you know, so it doesn't look anything like the... The plants that I saw in Iceland and I'm not ideal growing conditions for it. So there could yeah. be more that I'm doing, but I just kind of coax it along and I'm not harvesting it. I just like to spend time. I grow it next to the ladies mantle, which I often saw it growing next uh, to in Iceland. So, wow. Uh, but it has given me deep respect for the plant and seeing, you know, I've been growing this plant, tending it for 10 years and it's still like a little spindly thing for me. So. Yep. I, I mean, that's one of the reasons rhodiola is so, healthy for humans is that it has this really intense environment. It's got high altitude, low oxygen, super cold, a lot of radiation from the sun for being so close to the sun. Mm -hmm. So it's building all of these protective compounds for itself. And then we can come along and co-opt them. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly a gift to us. So thanks for those tips on the, you know, looking for cultivation. I mean, that's what I'm hearing. It's like, you want to see really that at this stage it's cultivated and, and maybe yeah. fair wild certification is coming for rhodiola, but for now, really it's the cultivation that we're looking for. Yep. And ask questions. A lot of extracts out on the market are still from China and they might be adulterated or they might not be sustainable. And that's one of my projects is trying to figure out a cultivated extract. So working with the folks in Canada and with the extraction company 
and getting that the powdered extract that you commonly see on the market. But right now there isn't that. So ask, asking questions, if you're going to buy an extract, email them and say, hey, what's the sustainability? Where is it coming from? What region of China or Russia? And just bringing awareness to them too, because I, I was blown away. I was at a trade conference last fall and there were probably two dozen companies offering rhodiola extract. And no one I talked to was aware that there were sustainability issues. Hmm. So uh, as a collective, if all the herbalists are emailing and saying like, hey, what's what's up with this? It might raise awareness more generally. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I can't remember exactly what I shared with Anne, but that I was actually thinking about that story in preparation of talking with you because a similar thing happened where I, I was seeing this one very popular company sourcing a lot of chaga. And I wrote them one year and I said, uh, you know, I was, you know, said, I'm concerned about the sustainability of this harvest. And, and the response I got back was there are no sustainability issues associated with chaga. And this is like quite a while. This is like what ways ago, right? Yeah. This is not like last year. It was quite a while ago. And I was so miffed. I was totally just like, what are you talking about? And I had sent them an article, I think by um, Robert Dale Rogers outlining the problem. I know that one. Yep. Yeah. So I sent them that, never heard back. And then, but it's like every time I saw that company, I just get like a little bit like angry. <laughs> and so yep. it was like a year or two later, I emailed them again. And I said, I'm emailing again because I'm still concerned about this issue. And I think I said like something like, is your chaga ethically wildcrafted? And their response was, yes. And I was like, oh, cool. Like things have changed. So I wrote back, you know, replied and I said, oh, that's excellent. I would like to see that on your website. And I would like to hear more about the steps you're taking to ensure that it's ethically certified or ethically wildcrafted. And then I never heard from them again. So I was like, like easy yes, you know, like, so I love that you're saying to ask questions and I'm, yeah. I guess I'm adding like ask harder questions too, because it's really easy to just say yes. Yeah. And you're not alone either. I, I know personally several people who also bug that particular company and, and deal with the same sort of responses, but they're getting it from multiple angles. So at some point, and, and that, you know, at Rasa, we started off using wild chaga and then did a little digging and then, oh man. Like we only use fruiting body and we, we switched to cultivated mycelium mm-hmm. for chaga. And the cool thing, just for anyone who loves chaga and is listening, we found that the cultivated chaga actually, it has similar beta-glucan levels and it also weirdly has betalinic acid still, which we all thought was from the birch tree that the chaga is growing on. Mm-hmm. But in a lab, chaga still produces that acid, which is super cool. That is really super cool. Well, I think I want to go next is I'm kind of like, there's all these things I'm excited to talk to you about, but maybe let's talk about your recipe because now we know like look for cultivated rhodiola. And then, so we find cultivated rhodiola, rhodiola, then what do we do with it? And I think your recipe, I love it because it's, you know, food-based rhodiola energy balls, or at least we could call it snack-based. So would you share just a little bit about this recipe and and then folks can get the recipe card when they visit herbswithrosaliepodcast.com and get the whole the whole thing. So this recipe is a bit of a challenge because I just, uh, we, we talked a little bit about buying the raw root and making tea or making a 40% alcohol infusion, vodka or something like that. And that's a great way to start taking rhodiola. This recipe uses an extract. So my, my challenge to you is to ask the company by the extract. 
about the sustainability and and start this process we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. And the reason I use an extract in this recipe is it can be hard to get a good dose of rhodiola without an extract because it is so astringent. And I'll back up and talk a little bit about rhodiola. Rhodiola rosea, it's it's basically rose rose. Rhodiola comes from the Greek rhodin, which means rose, and then rosea is also rose. And it has geraniol in it, an essential oil that's also in, in the rose. And it smells really rosy, but the taste can be challenging because it's so astringent. And I would almost never recommend it by itself to anyone because of the energetic constitutional challenges. And in practice, I would I would use it 5 to 10% in a formula. As a products company at Rasa, we use it usually at a lower percentage as well. And it's also very stimulating, so you don't need a huge amount. But when I'm getting to know an herb, I love to take a, like a macro dose to really understand it. Like the first time I take an herb, I want to like really go for it. And then I can be super subtle thereafter because I'm like, ah, I know what I'm looking for. And I know what this herb does. And like, I don't, I don't need very much. So these, these energy balls are an attempt to have rhodiola by itself and get an understanding of what does it feel like if I take rhodiola for two weeks, but we also want good daily dose without totally killing your mouth. That's why I suggest an, an extract. And it's a twist on the classic energy balls with dates and nuts. I use Brazil nuts because I wanted a a daily dose of selenium and almond butter and cacao powder, 250 milligrams of extract per ball. So it's kind of one a day. And I, I, I love these types of recipes because it's tasty. And I find myself like I never miss a day because I'm like, oh, I get to have my my energy ball. Mm-hmm. And, every, you know, sometimes love too as well. But it, it gives us an opportunity to be super consistent and say, like, okay, what does rhodiola feel like? on day one, what does rhodiola feel like after two weeks of consistent use? Maybe I'll eat three balls one day and just see what like a super high dose feels like. And they're great. They live in my freezer and they last forever that way. You can double the recipe. The recipe is for 15 balls, but we could double it and have some on hand for months after you do a two-week trial. But that that's that's one thing I've learned from Ross. I was like, having a routine and a ritual that tastes good enforces that habit and, and rhodiola acutely, you'll feel, but the more magical effects of rhodiola are cumulative. That was, that was going to be my next question. So I'm glad you oh. said that. Um, and that adaptogens tend to be like that, that it's really, the, it's the long term that we take them and kind of develop that synergistic relationship between what they're doing and what our bodies are doing, that things, we really get the most benefits. Yeah, they're kind of like probiotics for your for your stress response. Mm. Like probiotics, many of them don't have a what's called a memory function. So two weeks after you stop taking probiotics, they're out of your system in a lot of ways. Like they may help rebalance your system, but repeat exposure, like continual eating of probiotics, which is how we usually con- used to consume probiotics, mm-hmm. is the best way to get continual effects. And same with same with adaptogens. Um, it's kind of like one way I explain how rhodiola works to folks is through, it, it, it's a stress mimetic, like it mimics stress in a similar way to saunas or exercise. So saunas are good for us primarily because they stress our system and they, they upregulate what's called heat shock proteins. 
which were named after research with saunas. And exercise also upregulates heat shock proteins. And rhodiola, cumulative use, has been shown to also upregulate heat shock proteins. We're stressing our system in little ways with the effect of building more resilience towards bigger stress and more insidious chronic stress. Hmm. I wanted to circle back about the Brazil nuts because I really love that they're in this recipe. I, I eat almost all of my food comes locally, either from my garden or from our neighboring farm. And so our, and our soils are known to be low in selenium. So I eat a Brazil nut a day. Which yeah. is kind of ironic, like I'm getting it you know, from far away, but I just would prefer to eat a Brazil nut rather than supplement with selenium. So when I saw that in the recipe, I was like, oh, perfect. This is great. <laughs> that was my thought exactly. Because I, I I too have tried to eat a Brazil nut a day and I it's not usually successful. Yeah, I but go, you add I'll... a little bit of like cacao and dates. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and rhodiola and it all adds up to a more consistent routine. Yep, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think next I want to talk about Rasa and I'm going to preface this by saying that when I was first contacted about having you on the show and it was all, you know, it's a lot of Rasa, Rasa, Rasa. I was kind of like, is this like, you know, somebody wants me to advertise for them or whatever. And then, and, and I got the sample product and then I started looking into Rasa more and I was honestly so impressed. So if anyone's out there thinking like, I'm going to be a commercial for them, that's not the case. <laughs> but what is the case is that I'm, your company is really holding with, you know, holding up so many values and really going the course for what I want to see herbal product companies doing. And in that case, it made me like very excited to talk to you about, you know, the, you know, we're going to talk about community relationships in terms of sourcing and even formulation. So I'm excited to talk about Rasa with you and, Maybe we could just start back and you could just explain what Rasa is for somebody who hasn't yeah. heard. Sure. And, and, and thank you, Rosalie. That means a lot coming from you, truly. Rasa is an adaptogenic coffee alternative. So we make a line of drinks that with, with the intention of replacing coffee or supplementing coffee, if you don't want to let it go, plenty of those people and many people that work at Rasa also drink coffee. So don't think we're total purists over here. <laughs> but the idea is to get adaptogens at a more tonic nourishing daily dose in your system every day as, as part of a ritual. Uh, and it was started by my friend Lopa when she had her first kid. She was just totally, I mean, you know how it goes, it's totally stressful, you're not sleeping, it's overwhelming. And she was in a mom's group and they all had the same problem. They were drinking a lot of coffee and struggling with it. Coffee wasn't working for Lopa at all. And she thought, I'm gonna try some coffee alternatives. Couldn't find any that really met what she wanted out of a coffee alternative. And so she worked with a herbalist friend of ours, Jamie, and created it. And that was the first Rasa. It's our original. She tested it for a year or so, tweaking the formula, figuring out, like, is this a good idea? Is, well, you know, like, is it worth launching this thing? And she had such good feedback and reviews from folks that we decided to to go for it. And I joined, I joined during the hard launch. So I'm a, I'm a late founder, but have since done all the formulation for the rest of the blends and, and tweaked original tad and do a lot of the sourcing and education and things like that. One thing I immediately loved is that the, all of the blends seem to have this base of kind of burdock, chicory, dandelion, roasted root, which yeah. is one of my favorite flavors in herbalism. And I, I drink a lot of those kinds of blends. So you have that as this 
base that then gets all these different variations with these different adaptogens. Yeah, we wanted to build a, a base that we could add flavor to and add more functionality to. And, and that's, the, yeah, we have that roasted base, which also we're adding in roasted date seed to some of the blends, which mm -hmm. is it's the most coffee-like taste I've ever experienced. It's really cool. And, and a beautiful story uh, from Jordan. And then we have kind of our core toning, nourishing adaptogens. And these are a little gentler than the rhodiolas of the world. And those include Codonopsis and Shatavari, Maca. And that makes up a lot of the base adaptogenic profile. And then there is rhodiola in a lot of the blends at a pretty small percentage. And then in some blends like Bold, which is more energizing and more the like really want the adaptogen punch it's in there as, as an extract so when i you know initially hear things like these kind of maca and you know these ones that can be sourced so poorly you know i do have alarm bells going off and yeah. so i would love to hear from you about how rasa has been sourcing their ingredients i'll let you explain it <laughs> there's so much there and maca is a good example actually when maca was it five years ago 10 years ago when it got super popular there's some fascinating things that happened china stole some seeds or some some roots and planted it and started selling a good bit of the world's maca and it was not maca anymore it was heavily fertilized it was not grown super high up like peruvian andean maca is and as a result it didn't have nearly as much of the beneficial compounds. And this has been proven with like HPTLC and other ways of measuring compounds. And then, so that's, I mean, that's the first point, like DDAO, authentic source in, in China is a huge concept. Like where is the plant from? That's where you should buy it from. And we try to follow that as much as we can. Like we don't buy maca from China, we buy it from Peru. We also look for relationships. In the industry, there can be a lot of price buying and that destroys the quality of products really quickly. And we like to bash countries like China for selling us adulterated, contaminated product. And the, the reality is it's not China's fault, it's our fault, because there are buyers that know perfectly well, this herb should not cost as much, but they look the other way, they don't ask the questions they should. And then we end up blaming China for all the problems, but they're, they're, they're finding so many buyers here that know what they're doing. And so we prioritize relationships. We want to grow with suppliers and support them. An example of that is the roasted date seed. We, we paid for their first year of organic certification as a sign of like good intent. Like we're here for the long run and we want to grow with you. And that also includes visiting, which hasn't happened too much during COVID, but back to rhodiola, I'm going up to see the rhodiola harvest in Alberta in mm -hmm. May. I'm really excited about and see the yeah. whole process of like the farms and the harvesting and the processing and learning more there. Uh, and then asking a lot of, a lot of questions like Anne has been awesome and Ambrecht with the sustainable herbs program. She's putting together some industry working groups to tackle the bigger questions. Cause it, I mean, there's no easy answers in this industry. That's one thing I've learned. I, I started buying 10 million pounds of herbs for celestial seasonings and saw a lot of issues there. And now I'm at Rasa and I'm 100% in control of our supply chain. 
and now I'm at the point where I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't have anyone to rail against. Like I actually have to roll up my sleeves and change things mm -hmm. because there's, there's no one between me and my ideal anymore. And so that's been a really eye-opening experience of like, what, what do we focus on? Is it living wage? Is it regenerative agriculture? Um, is it small scale farmers in India? Is it local? farms in the US, like there's so many, so many things and they're all herb specific. And it's been so much fun to pick an herb and then go super deep with it. Mm -hmm. So I just want to like reiterate that because this when I first heard this from Ross, I was just kind of like, Oh, okay, but just like got into a, a little bit sunk deeper into me that some people who are sourcing herbs, they go to kind of the open market, and they're like looking for bids of like, and their ideal really is like, how can I get the cheapest rhodiola or chamomile or whatever? Like yeah. that's their number one priority is to get the cheapest thing. Yeah. And what Ross is doing and so, you know, a growing number of really awesome herbal companies are doing are saying, we're not going so much to the herbal market to look for the cheapest price, but we're going directly to farms and forming those relationships and having those relationships just be like, there's no one in between you. There's no middle person. It's you're working yep. with these farms. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's a, sometimes a hard decision like rhodiola, for example, we're paying, we were buying wild from China and, and then I went to China and I learned more about it. And I was like, we can't do this anymore. We're paying double to buy from Canada. Hmm. And, and that's, I mean, a lot of companies can't swallow that or, hmm. or their upper management won't approve it. I, I didn't even ask permission. So, <laughs> uh, that, that's the that's the like privilege of of being a co-founder and also handling sourcing is that uh, i was just like we're switching to canadian sourcing it's double the price but we have to deal with it because like the more the more volume they get and the better they get at farming it the lower the price will go over time and like it will it will work out in the end but those are hard decisions for bigger companies to make for sure but I'd say it's also impressive that smaller companies like Rafsa are making those decisions because that is a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. And and there's so much more work for us to do. I'm proud of what we're doing already. And it's it's been challenging to be growing the way we are with like we, we were bootstrapped. Um, we, we're in a crowdfunding round right now, but we were bootstrapped and trying to prioritize like an example is compostable packaging. We tried so hard to get compostable packaging over the last four years. We went through five different packaging companies, got lied to one, one product bag fell apart. One, they did a run and it worked, but they had such big waste numbers. They said, we're never running this again. Hmm. And we wasted so much time and money on that. And we still don't have a compostable bag. And we're, we're like really close with the, the next company now. And like we, hopefully you'll see a 2022 announcement, but like it was a horrible business decision and too many of those and you're like sunk. Mm. So it's, it's a constant conversation of like, we can't innovate in every single area. So we need to pick the areas that are really important to innovate. And, and one of those is the supply chain. Well, but is there anything you'd like to add about Rhodiola or Rasa or anything else before we get to the final question? Uh, I Rhodiola, uh, I will toss in a couple ca caveats because I think, adaptogens and rhodiola in general have a a glow of panacea around them often 
they're the wonder wonder plants for all uses and you know and in a lot of ways they are like rhodiola is so good for immunity it's so good for mood it's traditionally used as an aphrodisiac but i want to just throw in some words of caution to go with the the hype as well i think betsy castillo miller awesome herbalist one of my mentors used this so i want to credit her Um, a lot of the early research on adaptogens was done with these horrible forced swim tests mm, yeah or they they put mice in a bucket and eventually the the mouse gets up and drowns and if you give them rhodiola they wait a little longer till they drown and i i say this to clients all the time like when using adaptogens like what are you doing are you building are you using adaptogens to build a ladder out of the bucket or are you just using it to struggle longer because anything that's stimulating and gives you energy can be abused like we abuse coffee. It's a little harder, but it's definitely still doable. And so I'll, I want to leave you with that. Of, of our, our culture so easily co-ops our beautiful plants. And I am seeing adaptions sometimes co-opted this way of like a one-to-one replacement for coffee with no lifestyle changes, no introspection. Hmm. Thanks for sharing that. that. This is 2022 is my year actually of pulling back and simplifying. So I can appreciate that and how plants can support us and how we also need to support the work that they're doing within us as as much as we're able to in that way. Um, Are you ready now for our our last question then? I'm excited to ask this of you. This is our, you're our first person for season four. And I'm curious, what do you know now that you wish you'd known when you first started working with herbs? A couple of things come to mind. One, I, I wish I had trusted the plants earlier. Mm-hmm. I have had a really extremely blessed path through herbalism. And, and I've still struggled a lot and had a lot of anxiety around. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it can be hard to make it as an herbalist sometimes. And, I struggled against, you know, my corporate job when I had one and I struggled against all the nights and weekends and herb school and like how tired it was and trying to always do an extra thing to maximize my future potential. And, and I, and I look back now and I'm like, if I, like, there was certain points where plants just showed up and carried me to the next step. And if I had just, trusted that happening it would have made the last 10 years a lot easier for me and i and i tell i tell that to myself now too like just relax <laughs> <laughs> like things happen as they happen and 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 it really has seen that felt really felt that plants have reached for me so many times in my career and my development as an herbalist and just letting that happen and flowing with it mm-hmm. i really resonate with that that's that's a good one well, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today, Ben. Thank you, Rosalie. W- one other thing, I since we were talking about Ross, I have a discount code if now is a good time to share. Now is a great time, yeah. Awesome. If anyone wants to try Rasa, uh, we have a sampler pack with all of our blends. We have a discount code ROSALIE15, all caps, no spaces. <laughs> yeah, you have your own discount code. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and we're at wearerasa.com. And all the all the socials by the same tag, we are Rasa. Fabulous. I'll be sure to put all of that information in the show notes as well. Well, thanks again, Ben. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah. 
For the listeners, don't forget to head over to herbswithrosaliepodcast.com where you'll get free access to Ben's recipe for rhodiola energy balls. You'll also get access to the complete show notes, including the transcript. If you'd like to try Rasa, you can visit wearerasa.com and use the discount code ROSALIE15. I deeply believe that this world needs more herbalists, gardeners, and plant-centered folks like you. I'm so glad that you're here and a part of this herbal community. Have a beautiful day. Hey, thanks again for spending your valuable time with me today. I hope you found today's episode helpful. And if you're a new listener, thanks for checking out the show. And don't forget that you can find all the recipes, links, and show notes over at herbswithrosaliepodcast.com. While you're there, you can subscribe and get updates when new episodes release and even submit your requests for future podcast episodes. The world needs more people who are connected to the earth and the healing gifts of plants. I'm so glad that you're here for this adventure. Thanks for listening. Thank you to Rising Appalachia for the use of their beautiful song, Resilience. Listen to more from Rising Appalachia at risingappalachia.com.